Let's go to the Word of God. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend our attention as a church family in the book of Zechariah chapter 4. Now, for those of you who would like to save some time from looking a long time because we are not going to wait for you to take six minutes to find Zechariah. So I'm going to help you. All right. Let's go to Matthew in the New Testament and go backwards. Okay. Before Matthew comes Malachi. Before Malachi comes Zechariah. All right. Collectively, everybody say, thank you, pastor. Some of y'all been saved for 26 years. You still ain't know where it was. Is that in, is, 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 I know it's in there somewhere. So, so, so Matthew, back to Malachi, back to Zechariah. See how fast you found it? All right, Zechariah chapter 4. Stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Zechariah chapter 4. This is where we'll be. This is where the Lord has taken me for us. And how many of you know he knows where he's going? Amen. Yes, he does. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me. As a man that is wakened out of his sleep. How many of you ladies have ever awakened your man out of his sleep? Let's hope you don't have to do that in church today. Said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it. And his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. Now, this would be a nice visual to have. Good news. First week in March, they're going to start installing these screens. All right? So... Maybe a couple months from now, I'll start talking about a candlestick and a bowl, and you'll be able to look up on the screen. Isn't that going to be a good thing? That'll help you. For now, just use your head. Just picture it in your head. Two olive trees, by One upon the right side of the bowl, the other on the left side there. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest not, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. One of the most noble, wisest things you can ever do in your life is admit when you don't know something. Some people are dumb and some people will be dumb for the whole life. The difference between the dumb person that becomes smart is the dumb person that becomes smart says, I'm dumb, I don't know it, and he will let someone teach him. The dumb person that stays dumb says, I'm dumb, but I act like I know it, so I don't learn anything. What are these? You don't know what they are? No, I don't. Well, I'm going to tell you. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Let the church say amen. Amen. 
Our Father, we pray you add thy blessing to the reading of your word. Is already blessed. Thank you that you have preserved it intact. And that we can with full confidence know that as we open it today, we are hearing from you. As your vessel today, I ask that you would cleanse me of sin. Empty me of self. And fill me with your spirit. Help me to be a blessing. Use the Bible. Time and time again you've done it. And I know you'll do it again. Thank you, Lord, for what we've heard already. Now, Lord, I pray, God, that you will continue to move in and through us. Save that soul that's lost. And change all of us more into the image of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So you hold in your hand your Bible. And as you read your Bible, the Bible is divided into sections. That sectional divisioning in the scripture does not necessarily indicate chronology. In other words, there are books that go in a certain order, but that order does not necessarily describe the order of time. Everybody understand? So instead they are divisioned by theme or by type of writing. And so you get to the end of the Old Testament and the division of the Old Testament ends with prophecy. The ministry of the prophet in the Bible was essential and exclusive. In other words, what the prophet did, nobody else did. What the prophet did needed to be done. Now, God was in heaven and God had something to say from heaven that those on earth needed to hear. By the way, he does not change. God still has something to say in heaven that we on earth need to hear. How many of you believe with full confidence that you're sitting in a church building today where there are politicians and there are people and there are movie stars and there are entertainers and there are commercials and there are advertisements and everybody's got something to say. But how many of you believe with full confidence? that the God in heaven who sits high and looks low still has something to say to his people from heaven and it is possible from heaven that God can communicate to us on earth. Somebody say amen. Today we have a Bible. They didn't then. So God had something to say from heaven and the people on earth needed to hear it because how in the world are you going to act like you're supposed to act like on earth if you haven't gotten a word from God from heaven? Because they sure can't tell you how to act like on earth down here. So the ministry of the prophet was given so that God would say to the prophet and the prophet would say to the people. Say it with me. God said to the prophet and the prophet said to the people. One more time. God said it to the prophet and the prophet said it to the people. I was reading in my devotions this morning the book of Deuteronomy that God said when you go in the land and the prophet shall speak. And if you're wondering whether or not he's a prophet of mine, here's how you'll tell. If he said something and it doesn't come to pass, he's a liar. His authenticity has been slaughtered when he makes a prophecy that does not come true. There was no pressure on the man to have a good... Listen, it wasn't like the game we're going to watch today. Who threw it further? Who, who went through his reads better? Who blocked better? Who ran faster? Who got open quicker? The game will be won on skill today. Prophecy was not a skill set. Listen to me. You didn't have to be able to come up with a good lesson or come up with a good sermon. Prophecy was pretty simple. Whatever God gave you, give it to them. Preaching's that way too. It's not my job to come up with opinions. 
It's my job to get what God gave me and give it to you. Now I have it written. They didn't. So when you read the end of the Old Testament, you're reading a number of prophets <clears throat> divided in what we call major prophets and minor prophets. Major prophets are prophets who were inspired by God to write larger portions of Scripture. Those prophets are Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Say it with me. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Say it again. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are four prophets listed. You get to the end of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then you come to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those books are longer. Those men are not more important. Their prophecies are not more significant. Come on now, if you wrote two verses in the Bible or if you wrote 25 chapters in the Bible, you're not any more significant because you wrote the 25 or less significant because you wrote the two verses because after all, you're only writing what God authored. So after the four major prophets are 12 minor prophets. These men are the ones that are writing... And their prophecies are placed at the very conclusion of the Old Testament. The last of these being Malachi. History teaches us that after Malachi writes, God stops speaking. There's a period of 400 years in between the Old and the New Testament where God is silent. Somebody say amen to the fact that you're glad that in your life God is not silent. Amen. I'm glad that I get to hear from God every single day. You listen to me. If you didn't hear from God today, that ain't God's fault. You got a Bible. You decided whether or not you opened your Bible this morning and you heard from God. I had a good time hearing from God this morning. The first significant conversation that I had today was with God. That's a good way to start your day. When people get on my nerves, well, I don't like 95 traffic. My boss is not fair. The person sitting beside me cusses all the time. My, my people never appreciate me. People on my job don't treat me. I get sick of all of them. You may not be able to control what happens when you get to that office, but when you wake up in the morning, your feet touch the ground, your brain gets into some decent order, you have the volition and the choice to open your Bible and let heaven speak to you from the very mouth of God. Praise his holy name. They didn't have that option just to hear from God anytime they wanted to. They'd wait till God talk to the prophet and the prophet talked. So today we are studying the prophecy of Zechariah, who's one of the 12 minor prophets. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, why? God chose them to reveal himself to them so that they would reveal him to the world. Everybody understand? The nation of Israel was chosen by God. I was reading in my devotions just a couple days ago. They were not chosen for their greatness. They were not chosen for their might. They were not chosen for their significance. God didn't scout Israel and go, oh, yeah, they got the best player, so I'm picking them. No, 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 no. He picked them. They were small. They were insignificant. But God wanted to show the world, I don't need big people to do big things. I can take small people and do big things so that when the things get done, they'll know it was a big God that did them. But Israel didn't always cooperate with God's purpose for their lives. Neither do we. So instead of, at times, revealing God to the world, they got around the world and wanted to be like the world. Who in their right mind would have God and want the world instead? It's like having a Rolls Royce in your garage and going to the junkyard to look for a car. Why in the world would you want what the world has when you got God? Because the devil's a liar and he makes what the world has. It, it looks so significant. It looks so alluring. And by the way, be careful when your pharisaical, sanctimonious, stuck-up spiritual self finds yourself reading the Bible and condemning the decisions that those, that those in Scripture made as if you would not have made the same decision. Girl, I can't believe you ate that fruit. I can't believe you gave it to your husband. Man, I can't believe you don't got no guts to tell your wife you ain't eating that fruit. Knowing good and well, God told you. Okay, you go ahead. You the 82 woman. 
And you'd have ate it too after she gave it to you, man. Because we're so quick to believe the devil. We're condemning Adam and Eve for eating fruit, and we're doing stuff crazy every day too. And we got a Bible and the Holy Ghost living inside of us. Stop looking down at them and start looking up at him. So Zechariah is writing, but, but the nation of Israel found themselves in utter disobedience. And God's response to their disobedience was judgment. I am God, I change not. By the way, that passage comes in Malachi. God does not change. He punished Israel, his people, for doing wrong back then. And he will punish us, his people, for doing wrong today. <clears throat> the punishment for the Jews was captivity, to be in bondage in Babylon for 70 years. This was prophesied. In scripture, Isaiah and others prophesied it, and it did come true. God, watch this now, God strengthened the hand of a wicked man to get a hold of his supposedly righteous people. Watch this now, God helped somebody who was wicked so he could wake up those who were supposed to be righteous. You know you really live in bad when God will help a bad person get your supposedly good self right. So you're sitting up there going, I can't believe how this person keeps picking on me. Why won't God stop them? God might be helping them to get a hold of your attention. So when we read the prophecy of these minor prophets, nine of these minor prophets wrote before the captivity. Three of the minor prophets wrote after the captivity. How many minor prophets were there? Twelve, okay. Nine wrote before they went into Babylon for 70 years, and three wrote after they went in Babylon for 70 years. Zechariah is one of those three. He is a contemporary of Malachi and Haggai, writing around the same time frame that each of those prophets wrote. Malachi, probably 50 or 60 years later than that of Zechariah. Zechariah's name means Jehovah remembers. Say that with me, Jehovah remembers. Say amen if you believe God remembers. Amen. He remembered Hannah when she prayed and gave her a son. Amen. He, he, he will remember. He will remember your work and labor of love. He will remember when you're faithful when nobody else noticed. He will remember your bad days when nobody else pays attention to you. He will remember when you're weak, when people can't tell. He will remember when you can't pray and he will help you pray. Aren't you glad that he doesn't forget? Amen. He remembers. Zachariah's name means God remembers. Zachariah's daddy's name is Berechiah. His daddy's name, Berechiah, means Jehovah blesses. Berechiah's daddy is Ido, and his name means at an appointed time. Jehovah remembers Zechariah. Berechiah, Jehovah blesses. Ido, at an appointed time. Haggai, the contemporary of, 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 of Zechariah, who was involved before Zechariah wrote, Haggai challenged people to resume the building of the temple. And the temple had been broken down, and Haggai said, the temple needs to be built. The temple was the place where God dwelt with his people, and it made no sense that the people were living in nice houses while the house of God was broke down. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to get our priorities together. It makes no sense that the things of God go uncared for while the things of our own are bolstered and beautified. Listen to me. I should not work hard to do good at the job and work little to do little at the house of God. It should be that the effort that I put every other place should pale in comparison to the effort that when it comes to the things of God. I shouldn't spend more time watching TV than I do read my Bible. So Haggai saying, rebuild the temple. It had stalled. Zechariah encouraged them to finish the work. 
Haggai was the prophet with his feet on the ground, working where the people were actually laboring. Zechariah would be the prophet in many respects with his head in the clouds. Zechariah was getting visions from God. Haggai was hearing God and bringing it to the people and said, let's build the walls, let's get wood, and let's finish. In a series of eight visions, God is encouraging the people to rebuild the temple. Why? Why? They had gone to Babylonian captivity. They'd been there 70 years. Let me remind you, Babylonian captivity was not exactly a place where Christian people would enjoy. There was no temple in Babylon. They couldn't sing songs of Zion. Remember the psalmist said, how shall we sing this Lord's song in a strange land? How are we going to walk around here singing, my God is awesome, in a place where they're putting up idols and statutes and, and the king thinks he's all that in the bag of chips and they're putting out uh, legal policies where you can't pray and telling everybody to bow down and worship music and immorality is going on this is where the people were they didn't want to act like they were christians in their own land so god had to send them to a foreign land to appreciate how good it is to be in their own land let me tell you something you better love god when you can because when it's harder to love god you wish you did when you could have you always can but sometimes it's harder so when he gives them this vision to rebuild the temple and to finish, here's what he's saying. All is not lost. Yes, you went to captivity. Yes, the walls have been broken down. Yes, the temple has been destroyed. But God is not lost. He's in the restoration business. Somebody say amen that God's in the restoring business. Some of you are in here today and your marriage is broken down. Your morality is broken down. Your mind is broken down. Your past is full of broken down rubbish. And you are so dejected, demoralized, and depleted because you think God is done. I'm here to tell you I'm not from 12 step. I'm not from from AA, I'm not from Salvation Army, I'm not from Purple Heart, but I'm here to tell you that God is in the restoration business. There's not a marriage that God can't restore. There's not a life that God can't restore. There's not hope that God can't restore. You may be ready to quit, ready to give up on life, ready to throw in the towel. I didn't come here to quote you poems, give you motivational speeches, or tell you to find the champion inside of you. Truth be told, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our flesh in it dwelleth no good thing. You ain't gonna get right because you find the champion inside of you. You ain't going to believe in yourself enough to live a successful life. You're not going to be the best thing you can be and, and, and make the world so proud of you. You're going to do right when you lean on the hands of a righteous God who's good enough, great enough, grand enough, glorious enough, and, and big enough to do something in you that you can't do in yourself. He's in the restoration business. And Zachariah had the grave task of convincing the people of God that God would not only restore them, but through them he would establish his kingdom. Here's what Zechariah is saying. Look, folks, y'all got to get it together. Y'all act like it's all over, but you got to get it together because we got a whole New Testament that's got to start in a few chapters with Matthew. And we got a book of the Revelation. And Jesus is getting ready to come through this, this people. And he's going to establish his kingdom. And of his kingdom, he's gonna be no, there's going to be no end. 144,000 of y'all are going to get saved in the tribulation and preach. And there's going to be a great revival. Listen to me. God may be stalled with Israel right now because of your foolishness, but you get right and God will get behind you. So God's man is stirring him up. More than any minor prophet, Zechariah's prophecy is a messianic one. That means he speaks a lot about Jesus in his prophecy. It was always interesting when prophets spoke about Jesus in the Old Testament because they were speaking about a, a human being that hadn't even come yet. Isaiah says in chapter 7, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh, that's easy for you to say, Isaiah. Not very easy. This was 700 years before Jesus was born. Well, was Isaiah a real prophet? Did Jesus get, did, was Jesus born? 
Chapter 7, a virgin shall conceive. Chapter 9, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. What do you mean a child is born, a son is given? 700 years before Jesus came. How are you talking about he's born, he's given? And let me tell you something. When it comes to Jesus, saying it 700 years before he was born was just as good as he was born. Because, my friend, the, the historical marking of Jesus being born was going to happen. He was born, and Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before he was born, it came to pass. I'm glad, I don't care what anybody tells you. They don't have to celebrate Christmas. don't have to put up a tree. don't have to have lights. don't have to have ornaments. They cannot dismiss the factuality that a virgin conceived brought forth a son. His name was Jesus. He walked for 33 and a half years. He was tempted at all points yet without sin. He stretched out his arms wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. They spit on him. They mocked him. They plucked his beard out. They put a crown of thorns in his head. They slapped him and they mocked him. They gambled over his clothes with a thief on the right, thief on the left. He was just as holy as he always had in the, in, 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 in the beginning. They suspended him between heaven and earth. He gave up the ghost, died. They put him in a borrowed tomb, put a stone in front of him, Roman soldiers, the block him from stealing his body. There ain't nobody going to steal his body. You weren't going to steal his body. He was going to get up. Three days later, the stone was rolled away, not to, not to let him out, but to see he was already gone. He walked for 40 days, was seen among men, ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He's answering our prayers every single day. He's walking with us and talking with us and fellowship with us. And just a little soon from now, I feel it, the trumpet's going to sound and that same man is going to come back in the clouds. We're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, I reckon Isaiah was getting his information from a credible source. Where are you getting yours from? So Zacharias says, come on, folks, rebuild the temple, finish God's work. Stay with the business of God. Why? Because Jehovah remembers he's not done with his people. Jehovah remembers, Jehovah blesses, and Jehovah will do it at an appointed time. Israel had a bleak past because of captivity, but they had a bright future. And he's saying to them, don't you let what happened in Babylon define you for what God has to do for you in the future. And there's some people in here can't get right tomorrow because you're still stuck in yesterday. With all of that future prospect in sight, it was present problems that seemed to stymie the people of God. <clears throat> Discouragement, opposition, poor crops, bad economy, disobedience. Their assistance from friends was weak and their resistance from enemies was strong. Sound like your life? My assistance from my friends is weak, but my resistance from my enemies is strong. I want to do right. I, I, I want to press on. We hear you, Zachariah. We know the temple needs to be built, but we're discouraged. Our, crap, our crops won't grow right. Our economy's messed up. Our, our disobedience is at a high. We've got opposition over. We're discouraged. We're downtrodden. We're in despair. We want to do right, but we just don't feel like doing right. And so God gets his man. Don't get it twisted. God's still in the business when he gets it, wants to get his people right of calling his man to stand in the gap and tell the people what God said. I'm humbled to be a man that talks about God. I'm not the man, but I'm a man that appoints you to the one. We'll change it. So Isaiah, uh, Zacharias says, it's got to get done. 
It's got to get done because your future depends on your present performance. Listen to me, folks. God's got something great down the road for you, but you are never going to experience it if you ain't going to get up and do something now. Now, here's the message. Zachariah says it's got to get done, and it can get done. But let me first tell you how it won't get done. It will not get done by might. Pastor, we mean by might. Here's what Zachariah's saying. Look here, Israel, y'all good people. You got a lot of history, you got a lot of training. But this thing about getting the kingdom of God where it needs to be, this thing about building the house of God, this thing about doing the work of God will not be accomplished through military strength. It will not be accomplished through human activity. It will not be accomplished through your human resources, through your physical strength, through your human ability, through your efficiency, through your wealth. It will not be accomplished through your intelligence. It will not be your talent. It will not be your education. It will not be what you learned in school. It will not be your promotions on the job. You may get money earned in your bank because of how good you are at the job but when it comes to the work of God it will not be accomplished through your might nor by power physical material mental strength cleverness individuality will not get the job done here it is Zechariah 4 not by might nor by power but here's how it's going to get done by my Spirit, save the Lord. Here's what God's saying. It's the work of God that's got to get done. You're discouraged. You're in despair. The world around you is feeding you nonsense. You've got a past that is littered with foolishness and dismay. You have disobedience that has characterized you. You're coming out of a captivity that was a result of your own failures. And there's a temple that's broken down. There are walls that have been destroyed. There's a place where God needs to be worshipped that is in rubbish and in ruin. And I'm looking at you, a group of people with not very many friends and a whole bunch of enemies, and I'm telling you to get it done. But here's what I'm telling you. It is not going to be your might, and it's not going to be your power. It's going to take the very unction from the God of the universe who put the stars in place and the moon in space, the God who made the world out of nothing, created from the dust of the ground and and formed man and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. It's going to take the Holy Ghost of God to get the job done. Here's what he's saying to the people of God. You have a job to do and it is yours to be done, but you cannot do it in your own strength. And we're living in a world Unfortunately, that whether directly or indirectly has created a subconscious, if you would, false reality in our minds that anything you want to do, you can accomplish in life if you believe in yourself. You just got to hold your head up high, poke your chest out. You the head and not the tail. Look at your neighbor and say, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Why? Because I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. Okay. Go ahead, believe it. Go right up this door, up this flight of steps, right outside my office. There's a ladder there. Go up that ladder. Push that up there and opens up. You'll be on top of the roof. Go to the edge of the roof. Step up right on the edge where it is. Put both feet up on the edge. Both feet. Mm. 
Got to make some people feel comfortable in here. <laughs> feet. Put both of your feet up there. Flap your hands. Sang the song. I believe I jump. And you better hope somebody near you got a cell phone that can dial 911. And it may not even be any reason to dial 911 because the likelihood is you're going to be dead. I don't care how much you believe in yourself. You can't fly. Preach, Pastor. Last Sunday night, my wife and I went out to, there's some guys in the, in the church that are playing in a, in a league, a church league. And so they're representing Crossroads Baptist Church, and they're playing against other guys. And so I said, I'm going to go out and watch them play basketball. It's a good, good thing to do on Sunday night, 8 o'clock. Church was over and had some time. So I went out and watched them. Now, some of those guys out there can jump up, take the ball, and dunk it. Some of them jump, and you can't even slide a credit card underneath their feet. It is what it is. That don't make them a bad person. Don't make them a bad Christian. And it certainly doesn't mean they have low self-esteem. They have just come to the conclusion: I can't jump like that. Now, what you gonna tell that guy next time you get the ball and there's nobody in front of you? Dribble, 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 dribble. And when you get close to the hoop, you say to yourself, I know I can. I know I can. I know I can. I'm the head and not the tail. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I'm going to dunk, dunk that ball. Jump, jump, jump. Your head going to hit the wall. Because you can't jump. Here's the, here's the problem with the Christian life. We think we're going to pull off living for God by believing in ourselves. You remember Crossroads Baptist Church. You elite. You're here on Sunday morning. Your, your spiritual self is going to watch the whole evening service without even clicking over to see if the game came on yet. You are in the, 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 the large minority of believers in America. You, you're in church on Super Bowl Sunday actually thinking about the word of God. I mean, where can you find a group of people like this? Can I tell you, your spiritual self in church, even on Super Bowl Sunday, is capable of walking out of this building and committing any sin, including the ones you condemn others for committing. Well, but pastor, not me. I found Zachariah before you even told me to go backwards from Matthew. And guess what? You act a fool, and you will lust after another woman and lose your marriage with your Zachariah finding self. If you try to do it through might and through power. Those are not rebellious church members. They're children's church workers. Saw y'all looking at them. Look at them getting up out of the service. They're going to, see, they're going to the top of the roof, see if they can fly. <laughs> Don't look out there. That look like Zev. <laughs> We're going to have to learn, one way or the other, how to live through the power of the Spirit of God. It, you know what? Now it's gotten to the point where the Christian life is so hard 
Because you either going to do it or everybody's going to know you're not spiritual. You talking about marriage? Well, I, you know, I, I, I can fake marriage. I don't have to go to church to have a good marriage. I don't have to read my Bible to have a good marriage. Just, just. And even if we have a bad marriage, nobody knows because me and my wife made an agreement. We don't tell nobody our business. You ought to tell nobody. You file for divorce, it's public record. You can swear to secrecy all you want to. The devil will blast your business after you have sworn all informed parties to confidentiality. Sin always gets exposed. There's no way around it, folks. This church is going to do right in 2023. It will not be by might, nor by power, but by God's spirit. The question is, are you committed to cooperating with the Holy Spirit? Because if you're not, stop trying to live the Christian life. You won't. You won't. You can preach good, sing good, teach good, and act good. It's only a matter of time before you're going to live bad except through the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad he's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all we ask or think? We'll dive into the interesting language of Zechariah chapter 4 the next couple of weeks because we're going to look at this candlestick and look at these bowls and look at this oil and talk about what in the world Isaiah was, Zechariah was looking at that God wanted to show him about his spirit because I'm here to tell you that same truth that Zechariah saw years ago is still just as credible and real today. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you for your spirit. Forgive us for trying to pull off the Christian life. Make it happen. Swing it. Forgive us. Help us, Lord, to be motivated now more than ever to live according to your spirit. It's not that it's hard to be a good Christian without the spirit. It's impossible. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I don't have to twist your arm. Pastor, I'm saved and I know it. I have Bible reasons to prove it. If you're saved and going to heaven, according to the word of God, would you put your hand up? Saved and going to heaven, I know it. Put your hand up all over the building. God bless you. Put your hands down. Then let me ask you this. Pastor, I'm saved, but I'll be honest. I'm guilty. I'm guilty at times of trying to successfully live the Christian life through my own might, through my own power, and not through his spirit. Please pray for me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. That's you. Would you put your hand up? Yes, all over. God bless you. Let's keep our heads bowed, eyes closed. Between you and the Lord, put your hand down. Christianity has become so mechanical. We, we, we know how to work the mic and we know how to do church. We know all the Christian cliches and all of the sanctified nomenclature. 
Meanwhile, the Spirit of God sometimes is nowhere around. Their church is cranking it up every week, packing it out, getting down. And everybody's in his place, save the Spirit of God. It's got to be God, folks. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. There is no other way to live the Christ, the Christian life, except through the Spirit of God. Pastor, I'm not 100% sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven, but I do not want to go to hell. Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven, but I'm sure I do not want to go to hell. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that? Would you let me pray for you? I don't know if I died today, I'd go to heaven, but I'm sure I do not want to go to hell. I can't tell. Thank you. See you. God bless you. We'd love to have somebody talk with you. Because... God wants you to know it. it. It's hard to walk in confidence in the Christian life when you're not even sure where your eternal home is. And the devil will beat you up about that. He, he will confuse you and distract you. So we'd love to help you. We'll get someone to talk with you if you'd like that. By my spirit. Father, help us. Help us to get focused on the spiritual. Speak to us, through us, in us, over us. By your spirit, in Jesus' name.